Well, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, this is the third sermon in our Advent series called Unto Us, which is based on Isaiah 9, 6 and kind of the, the surrounding scaffolding, if you like, that's around Isaiah 9, 6. Uh, mostly, we've been, it's, it's been a treatment of some of the content in chapter 8. That's where we'll still be this morning. And we'll move into the content of chapter 9 as I'm more and more convinced that there's a reason that Prince of Peace comes last. It's meant to be this thing that kind of draws this whole picture together. But I'll read the verse to you again. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace. This is the word of the Lord, and so we say, thanks be to God. Uh, so, Everlasting Father is the name that we are exploring this morning. This text is something of a, a kind of messianic profile. We're told that this child's name is going to be four things. Interestingly, not he shall be called, but his name shall be. But we already know how this story ends, right? His name ends up being Jesus. Yeshua in Hebrew, Jesus in Greek, as written by Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and so on. Well, what does Jesus mean? Well, it means Yahweh saves, right? How does Yahweh save then? Well, by giving us what we need, namely a wonderful counselor, a, a mighty God, an everlasting father, a prince of peace. And so this morning we'll be focusing in on that third title, everlasting Father. And what's interesting is that the Hebrew term here, it can mean, uh, I mean so, so everlasting father, eternal father would also be a fair translation. And the way that kind of uh, adjectives like this modify nouns like this, you could also have father of eternity, father everlasting, father who is forever, who lives forever. And so I want to correct a possible misunderstanding at the outset that while this child will, the, the, the name that this child is given, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, that we not make the confusion that the Father is Jesus and that Jesus is the Father. Because one of them, one of these names here is Everlasting Father. Or, but I want to make sure we understand and don't get this confused. Because in ancient times, to include the concept of Father in someone's name, his name shall be called, was to convey a certain characteristic about them. So the, the Hebrew word you might know is Abba, right? Uh, father sometimes was included in biblical names in the Old Testament to signify some kind of characteristic about them. So basically almost any, almost any Old Testament you name, a name you see that begins in English with the letters A and then B has probably some kind of concept of fatherhood in it. So, Abihud means father of honor. Abner, father of light. Uh, Abraham, father of a multitude. You even have one name in the Bible, Abigail, which is father of joy. Wait, that's a girl's name. Yes, it is. But the important part is the concept behind the name, not necessarily limited, again, to a masculine expression. In this case, Abigail means father of joy or bringer of joy, giver of joy, one who brings and passes on joy. So this son in Hebrew will be Abiad, the eternity father. So what does that mean? 
Well, it means He comes to bring eternity. He comes to give us eternity. And so I want to make sure that we understand we're talking about uh, the, 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 the Lord, God the Father, is giving Isaiah this message about the Son who's going to come at what we're celebrating right now, right? Advent and Christmas time. If you want to know more about this, by the way, there's a great book over in our book repository called The Forgotten Trinity. James White, highly recommended. It's over there in the fellowship hall. So we have this, this, this everlasting, this eternal Father. That means one who comes bringing eternity to us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have, finish it, eternal life, everlasting life, either translation works, because Jesus comes bringing us that eternal life. That's what He does. Because while the Son is not the Father, He is the giver of life everlasting, the originator of time. In other words, this Son who will be born has always existed. We, we sang it just a moment ago. This son, though he will be born, has always existed. There never was a time when he was not. And there's perhaps no better way to say that than this being is eternal and will bring eternity with him than to basically call him Father Time. And so we have before us the wonder of the incarnation. The eternal son who's always dwelt with the Father and the Spirit in perfect harmony, coming down. Eternity enters into time. That's, that's the point, right? Eternity enters into time. The everlasting becomes limited inside time. This child will be called Everlasting Father because He is the bringer or bearer of eternal life for us. So why then is it good news, right? This, this word from Isaiah. Talked about that the last two weeks. Why is it good news? that the wonderful counselor is coming? Why is it good news that the mighty God's coming? Why is it good news that the everlasting Father is coming? Four reasons for you, and I'm going to move through them kind of quickly. Or excuse me, three reasons. I promise I can count my own sermon notes. One, because we fear death. Two, because uh, we will die. And three, because we will live forever. Right? So, so we fear death, and, and in some sense we also fear life, which is really two sides of the same coin. Right? So the, the fear of death can manifest itself as a fear about what's going to happen tomorrow. And so what does Isaiah say about that? Again, in the context of uh, 9 verse 6, if we go back to chapter 8, I believe we should have it here. Uh, Isaiah 8, yeah, 11 and 12. For Yahweh spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of his people. You remember this? Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. That's very important, okay? Do not be afraid of what they're afraid of. Fear is the centerpiece of this whole text. It's why this child and this son is coming, because the people are living in terror. But it's a terror that's mixed in with their idolatry and their, uh, not just their ignoring God, but their fleeing from God. So what do, you have, what do you have in this passage then? You have fear of death, Right? That's, that's the reason in part for the fear of the conspiracy. Because just like today, if somebody becomes obsessed with conspiracy theories, it probably has something to do with either fear of death or fear of losing control of what's in their life. Fear of not being in control. Fear of needing to know the whole story. And once I know the whole story, once I can predict everything that's going to happen, once I get all the plans figured out, then I'm safe. Right? That's why a little later, so you have on the one hand, 
fear of conspiracy. On the other hand, you have this command about uh, inquiring of mediums, necromancers, uh, witchcraft, this sort of thing, who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? So don't go looking to conspiracy theories to give you the whole picture. Don't go looking to those who claim to be able to talk to the dead to get that that secret information that you're longing for to understand everything that's going to happen. I mean, either way, it's, it's, again, it's, it's two ways to express the same kind of fear and to chase after the same kind of secret knowledge. Isaiah says that then his, there's, there's a mention here of children, which I think is in part why this son that's looked forward to is, is, is used this, why we see this everlasting father terminology. But Isaiah's children are actually going to become important in this prophecy. Bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. All right, now, I thought Isaiah could have ended right there. The next sentence, behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel. From, the Lord, from Yahweh of the armies, from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. So what, what is he talking about there? We're, who are Isaiah's kids? I'm going to talk to you for a minute about Isaiah's kids. They've got just about the coolest names ever. So Marissa, if you're taking notes, if you can write these down. <laughs> Chapter 7, verse 3. Okay? For when we have kids. Chapter 7. I have to say that, otherwise everybody loses their mind. <laughs> and the Lord said to Isaiah, go out to meet Ahaz. You and, here we go. Sheer Jashub, right? Your son at the end of the conduit, upper pool, highway to wash his field, right? So this is the first child of Isaiah, Sheer Jashub. His very name in Hebrew means a remnant will return. Right? A remnant will return. In other words, even though destruction's going to come on this people, even though they're going to get exiled to Babylon, nevertheless, Isaiah names his son so that every time he speaks his kid's name, he's preaching. A remnant will return. A remnant will return. A remnant will return. There's still hope. I know it looks bad. I know it looks awful. I know it's extremely painful, but a remnant will return. God will keep his promise. We get mention of a second kid in chapter 8. This kid's name's even better. The Lord said to me, take a large tab- tablet and write on it in common characters belonging to, here's the name, Maher Shalal Hashbaz. It's four words, y'all. Now, I don't even know how that worked. Like when it was time for dinner, did his mom yell for him like, Maher Shalal Hashbaz, it's time to come in for dinner. Like surely he had a nickname or something. I don't know. We're not told. The point is that the whole name, the name again is symbol laden. In Hebrew, it means Quick to plunder, swift to spoil. In other words, judgment is imminent. It won't be long now. And you, you think about, when we think about to Ezekiel, as we've been making our way through Ezekiel, two things that Israel had a lot of trouble believing. One, that judgment was coming. No, everything's fine, right? Peace, peace, where there is no peace. And the other thing is when they get exiled, God's given up on us. So the two things, the very two things that Israel had trouble believing, that judgment is coming, and then after it comes, that there's any hope remaining. And so Isaiah names his two children in such a way as to continually preach against the lies that Israel and Judah will be tempted to believe. So every time he calls for his kids, 
He's saying God's judgment is coming soon and a remnant will return. The two things they needed to know most. So Isaiah's children then are symbol laden, right? And if we go back, yeah, behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are what? Signs and portents. That is signs and, and pictures, word pictures that are telling you something from the Lord. So even Isaiah's kids are an excuse to preach. Are you starting to get a sense then of why this child in Isaiah 9 gets four names? They're meant to proclaim hope to Israel, just like these names are. Or at least that God keeps His promises. The names of Isaiah's children were signs for the people. And so here is a man who, even by the names he gives his children is declaring the truth of God's revelation to the whole culture. But it turns out they don't like what he has to say no matter how he preaches it. That this, is what they're, uh, this is why they're trying to, to, if you want to put it this way, gather up all the secrets they can, whether by conspiracy or by witchcraft, so that they'll know what to do, to, to desperately try to pull back the curtain to figure out what's really going on here. Perpetual temptation. Because they're consumed with anxiety at the thought of the future. And if that's you, you're desperately looking for control. right? Desperately looking for control. And that's what the Lord basically says. You want to fear something, don't fear the future, fear me. And so, why is it good news that we have have an everlasting father? That that name is one of Emmanuel's names in Isaiah 9. First reason is because we fear death. Now, the second reason is because we will die. Here's the reality. Part of my job is to inform you, in case someone has told you differently, that you will die. Okay? So that, that's, that's the reality. Here, I, I think I'll borrow this from Bob Benson. He used to say, if you're sick, we'll call Brian or Gary, and if you're really sick, we'll call Bobby. Okay? Bobby works at a funeral home. Someday you will die. And after you die, what's going to happen? Well, people will get together, they'll say some nice things about you, hopefully most of them will be true, and then they're going to go eat potato salad, and they're going to move on with their lives. And then all the books that you've read about God, and all the songs that you've sung about God, and all the sermons you've heard about God... And all the YouTube videos you've watched about God and all the stuff on Facebook that you've shared about God, every word of it will probably seem worthless and insignificant next to that moment because you will leave behind the echoes and the pictures and the metaphors and you will meet the Lord Almighty. So this is why we must deal with Jesus Christ. With His life, with His teachings, with His commandments, with His death, with His resurrection. Because however much theology or religious theory we've got, we know that there will be a day when our, when our theology and our theory and our puzzlings are made sight and we will have nothing to say. And so we fear death and we will die, but also we will live forever. You might remember a few Sundays back, I gave you that C.S. Lewis quote about how, how you've never met a mere mortal. Everyone you've met is immortal. And I, that, that we will all, in fact, spend eternity 
in the new heavens and the new earth or, in, or under judgment in hell? All who believe in Jesus then will find in Him the comfort from death that they seek. That's the wonderful counselor bit. They'll find God Almighty. That's the Almighty God bit. They'll find everlasting life from the everlasting Father, the one who brings us into everlasting life. They'll find the Prince of Peace. That's next Sunday. And what will all of that, what will that day be like? Well, for those who know Christ, we'll be gathered in. And we will be recognized as, and this is really amazing, we'll be recognized as members of the family. Jesus actually calls us brothers. You know, I mean, remember, what's the problem in Isaiah? The problem is fear that's motivating them to go out and find their answers anywhere except God. Fear that's driving them away from God, causing them to, I mean, failing to trust in God. Fear that earthly powers would control everything. So why are you so obsessed with the conspiracy? Obsession with conspiracy tends to turn you into slaves to your obsessions because you'll never be proven wrong. You'll never be proven right, but you'll always be endlessly obsessed because the secret knowledge is what makes you feel powerful. What does he say to them? Verse 13? Not sure if we've got it up. Yeah. But Yahweh of the armies, Him you shall honor as holy. Let Him be your fear. Let Him be your dread. Fear the one who, was Isaiah's Maher Shalal Hashbaz, fear the one who brings the judgment with eminence, brings the judgment speedily. Who will come soon? If you wish to properly fear something, fear your own sin an idolatry, an obsession with yourself that pushes you further into isolation from God and His people with no counselor, with no Almighty, with no Father, with no peace. And it's really remarkable is that in the, in the book of Hebrews, just years after Jesus' death and resurrection, we're told that Jesus brings us into the presence of the Father by His own blood. By the gift of His own salvation. We see Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering and death. So that by the grace of God, He might taste death for everyone. One. For it was fitting that He for whom and by whom all things exist, there's the eternal bit, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. There it is. Saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing you praise. So we're given this picture in the book of Hebrews of Jesus Christ, our brother. Jesus Christ, our brother, joining himself to us, even joining in our singing, in our gathering, in the gathering of the congregation, as we lift our praise to God, bringing us to the Father, as we pray and sing and preach, and what does that do to our fear? It destroys it. The very next verse says, I will put my trust in Him. Oops, that is the wrong verse. It's all right. I will find it and read it to you. That's supposed to be 2.13, not 9.13. That's my mistake. Made a mistake in the inputs. Chapter 2, verse 13. 
So I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And then again, I will put my trust in him. It's the very next sentence. I will put my trust in him. Away with all these fears, right? Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. Now, why am I bringing up this passage from Hebrews? I'll show you in just a moment. Before God the Father, Jesus brings us in, calls us his brothers, and then he quotes Isaiah. I will put my trust in him. Behold, I am the children God has given me. So he pulls this verse out of Isaiah, the same words from Isaiah. Behold, I, here I am in the children God has given me. And this is, so this is the gift that God gives to us in Jesus. That now Jesus, our brother, brings us into the family. And we can approach God the Father perfect, forgiven. Right? With, with Jesus before the Father. On His team, if you like. And so this is what Jesus has given us. Next, to the, next one, I believe, is this quote from, from Charles Spurgeon. Oh, yeah, there it is. There is no unfathering Christ. And there is no unchilding us. Yeah. He is everlastingly a father to those who trust in him. So He brings us in, saves us, and keeps us. One day, Jesus Christ, our brother, will present us to God the Father. And He will say, Here I am, and the children you have given me. And so in this world, where we fear life, we fear death, and yet, we know we'll live forever, we preach a king. right? Not a president, or a leader, or an idea. This is why we sang, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. A king who comes first as a child. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, and of the increase of his government, there will be no end. And so what is this for us today then? In a word, or rather in a sentence, leave behind all of our conspiracies and whisperings, all the vain things that charm us or sedate us or numb us, or try to keep our terror at bay for just one more day, because it's not going to work. Even if you're right about everything, you're still going to die. And so, the message that we're given here is to know the God who gives us His Son, who gives us everlasting life. Come then and know Jesus Christ. Come then and know Jesus Christ. Father-like, He tends and spares us. Well, our feeble frame, He knows. So if you know know this hymn, Father-like, He tends and spares us. Well, our feeble frame, He knows. In His hands, He gently bears us, rescues us from all our foes. Praise Him, praise Him, praise Him, praise Him, widely as His mercy flows. In the name of Jesus, amen. Our Father, we thank you for this good news of great joy. That to us a son is born, to us a child is given. And you've given it to him to have the government of the whole world on his shoulders. And so as we wait for the day of second advent and of his return, we pray that you would supply us with all patience 
and give us a heart for eternity. You've made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And so, Lord, while you still can be found, draw near to us that we might draw near to you. We ask it in Jesus' name.